right, today's reading of the word, our text is Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. You can find this uh, beautiful verse in page 840 in your pew Bibles. That is the hardcover. And if you have the soft cover, you can find it in page uh, 545. At this time, could you please stand for the reading of God's word? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they, were met, they met him out of the tombs. A man with an unclean spirit, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly, not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down to the step, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was greeting, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him. And everyone marveled. You may, thank you. You may now be seated. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. James, turn me up in the heaven. Okay, there we go. There we go. Hey, 
Y'all know how they have them rap battles and, hey, yo, turn me up in the headphones. Turn me up in the headphones. It's good to be with y'all this morning. Oh, Pastor Leon, he, he just hit me with the uh, veteran COVID preacher. Take my mask off so you can hear me clearly. One moment while I fumble. Somebody say, uh, take your time, baby. Take your time. You know, back in the day when, <laughs> when you're trying to read the words, take your time, baby. Take your time. Thank you for our old saints who uh, help our young, our young saints out, right? <laughs> um, my wife and I are so excited to be here with you in Detroit. We've been here now for about a month and some change, and we are starting to get more acclimated to this beautiful city and especially the 48214. Uh, we love our neighbors and we're already uh, getting to know our neighbors and they're getting to know us and so a lot of prayers being answered and I would say our lives are kind of calming down a little bit which is good because it's been up there for us uh, for the last four to five months. Um, but I don't want to waste any time this morning. You'll recall in our uh, first time together, when we traveled here and I preached, I preached on Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And you'll recall that in that text, Jesus demonstrates his sovereign power and authority over the chaos and evil symbolized in the tsunami that hit the Sea of Galilee. Y'all remember that? This morning, I'm kind of a linear guy, so I want to spend our time together again, but this time look at the next story following. And so to do that, we need to cross to the other side of the sea with Jesus and his disciples. And what we're going to see is Jesus is going to demonstrate that same power and authority, this time over a tsunami that was this man's life. This man had a tsunami of evil in him over him and inside of him, destroying his life and destroying his community through his life. So, without wasting any time, uh, I almost said Pastor Elvin. Elvin uh, read the text for us beautifully. And I love how at the end, he began to choke up as he began to say the words, and they marveled. They marveled. But to see that, I need to show you what happens here. And in this text, this is what we're going to marvel over. This is the big idea. King Jesus came to liberate individuals and communities from the dark forces of evil that destroy human life. And if that's the big idea, here's the big goal. Here's the why. Jesus does this in order to restore liberated individuals and communities back to the human vocation they were created for. So with the big idea and the big goal in mind, let's pray real quick, go to the Lord, and then we'll dive in. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for 
your living and active word that is sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Would you take your living and active word and do that even in my own heart and the hearts of your people right now? For this is your voice, your words. We invite you, Father. Do a mighty work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you haven't already, you'll want to keep those Bibles open. Page 840 in your pew Bible or 545, page 545 in your softback. But I got you with the words on the screen as well. But I like a physical Bible. Amen. So, I want to point out four reflections in this text that together show us this liberating, restoring power of King Jesus over evil. And so to do that, let's go ahead and dive in. I want to show you this first reflection. This first reflection is that King Jesus, notice, he enters unclean and hostile places to pursue oppressed people. If you could go like this, got glasses on, and take your 21st century glasses, close them up, put them to the side, and put on your first century Jewish lenses, okay? Because that's the only way we're going to be able to understand the magnitude of what happened here. You see, this place is so hostile, so unclean, That it'd be like if we were to take a carton of milk and put it out in the 90 degree Michigan heat with the cap off and just let that mug spoil. Can you smell it a little bit? Can you see the curds in there? I ain't trying to make nobody throw up this morning, but I need you to understand that this was a hostile and unclean setting. And that's where Jesus goes. Notice four reasons this was unclean. Four things that made this setting unclean. First, you'll notice in verse 1 that they were in the country of the Gerasenes. Now, that may not do nothing for us. And Luke agrees with this version. He uses Gerasenes. But if you read Matthew, he, he says Gadarenes. And we don't really know what was going on. Maybe it was uh, you know, it obviously was a scribal decision, and, and the scholars are all over the place. Where was this at? But what everybody agrees on is that this was a non-Jewish region. This was, this was a region of Gentiles. Yes, there was a pocket of Jews there, because we know that there's evidence of synagogues, but this was predominantly non-Jew. Now, For a first century Jew, that's why I said put those glasses on, this was unclean. Because in that day, the first century Jew would consider his non-Jewish, a non-Jewish person to be like a filthy dog. Because they did not worship the God of Israel, the one and only true God, but instead worshipped They're foreign gods of their culture. Do you see? So the first thing I want you to see is that this place was unclean because of the people. 
The second reason it was unclean, though, is because of the places. If you look there in verse 3, notice where this guy lived. It says that he lived among the tombs. This man with the unclean spirit literally lived in a graveyard. Now, if you're a first century Jew, this is also a no-no because you grew up reading the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And in there, you have passages like Numbers chapter 19, 11 through 14, which says that an Israelite was not to come into contact with the dead. If they did, they were cut off from the covenant community. They had to go through a ritual cleansing to be brought back in. But it's even more high up if you're in the first century because the rabbis of the day said not only were you unclean for coming into contact with the dead, but anything that came in contact with the dead was now unclean. And if you touch that, then you're unclean. So for instance, a pillow of a deceased person, uh, a blanket, uh, maybe a bed, a bedspread, sheets, a tomb. That's where this guy lived. He lived in the realm of the dead. You see? So it was an unclean story because of the people, because of the places. But notice, with your first century Jewish perspective, it was also unclean because of the unclean influences. Where do I see that? Well, verse 11 Verse 12, verse 13, verse 16, Mark wants us to see that there were pigs in this region. And that was also a no-no for a Jew because they grew up with the Torah, which said, you can't eat pork. Pork was the meat of the nations. They would offer it uh, in sacrifice to their false gods. And then they would gather together at their festivals and eat it together. And so... Once again, though, the rabbis take it a step further and say, not only were you not to eat it, not have it in your diet, but you weren't even allowed to be around swine. Because if you were and you touched anything that they were near or they touched, then that made you unclean. And so I just want to pause just for a moment and ask you if you can smell the spoiled milk. Can you smell it? It stunk. From the first century Jewish perspective, this is why it's important to read the Bible in context. And so, if we keep going, we could say that this story is as unclean as it gets. You see, Mark seems to put this story, if you ask, why does he put it there? He puts this story in his gospel because he wants us to understand that the unclean people, places, and influences together combine to speak of the things that belong to God's enemies and the enemies of his people. These were all things that associated with the enemies of God and his people. But in order to understand who that enemy was, to a first century Jew, 
we need to see the fourth thing, and that's the unclean history. You see, you ask any first century Jew in Jesus' day, who's your enemy? Rome is my enemy. The Roman Empire. And you see, that was fitting because nearly a century before Jesus' day, you know what Rome did? The Roman legions invaded this very region and took it over utterly. Like, get in my way and you'll get crushed. That was the motto of Caesar. There's a correlation today even with institutions of power, isn't there? But let me not, let me, let me not preach yet, okay? Let me not preach yet. You see... If you grew up knowing your Bibles, you knew Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, you have a vision of four monsters coming out of the sea, all symbolizing four successive pagan empires that threaten God and his people. And you know who the monster is in Jesus' day? I want you to listen to what this Bible teacher says about Rome. He said, Rome was the monster of all monsters. Rome was unclean. Rome was a nation of pigs. The best place for Rome was back in the sea. That was your theology. If you were a first century Jew, that was your ideology. You see, let me, let me break down what's going on here. Jesus, God in the flesh, is entering enemy territory to defeat his and his people's enemy. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Rome, ding, 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 was not their real enemy. Satan and his legions were. But they, Satan and his legions, were deceiving Israel, just like they do to us today, into thinking, that's your enemy, Rome. That's your enemy, America, or this brother and sister over here. This flesh and blood person, right? And so we could say that the Jews of Jesus' day were like boxers swinging at the referee instead of their true opponent. Can I preach this morning? How are we like boxers swinging at the referee instead of our true opponent? What are some ways this past few years or year or months or even this past week that you've been swinging at the referee instead of your real enemy? Maybe in your marriage. Maybe with your kids. Maybe at your job. Maybe at school. Maybe at the gas station. Maybe when you got cut off on I-94, like I did the other day. I didn't do nothing, no? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> do you guys hear where I'm coming from? You know what the Apostle Paul reminds us? He says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you have physical enemies? 
Yes, but they're not your ultimate enemy. So with this real enemy in mind, can I keep going? I want you to see this second reflection, and that is that King Jesus is a threat to the forces of evil that oppress individuals and communities. And we see this in verses 2 through 5. I want you to notice there in verse 2 that no sooner than Jesus gets out of the boat with his disciples, this, this haunted house of a man comes running, comes storming at him. And look what it says. Immediately there met him out of the tombs. This is verse 2. A man with an unclean spirit. And I want you to consider three horrible realities about this man's condition. The first we'll call like the, the external internal component. You see, the same powers, hang with me now, that were ruling over this man's country, Rome, but the forces of evil behind wicked empires, right? Those powers had externally and internally taken over this man. That's what's going on here. This man was externally and internally a walking haunted house. But let me just zoom in on that external for a minute. First of all, notice that he was obsessed by the powers. Where do we see that? If you look there in verses 3 through 4, notice that this man had superhuman strength. I mean, the dude, Luke, if you read Luke's version, it says he was confronting people violently. Like blood was shed when this dude was around. Okay? This was that cat on the streets nobody wanted to go by. You feel me? I'm starting to use the, you feel me, like, because I've been in Detroit too much, you know? Somewhere else would be like, you dig? But that's what this man had. He had superhuman strengths from the forces of evil that had taken him over externally and internally. And if you don't believe it, look there in verses 3 and 4 and notice that he, he would often be, be chained up, hand and feet, shackled. And he would tear apart the chains like pieces of paper and smash the shackles like a bag of chips. You see, this man, this individual, was obsessed by the dark powers. And listen now. Some people preach this and they say there's nothing, this man couldn't control it. There's no sin because he was controlled by the evil one. No, we need to see here that this was the view of this man participating with those forces of evil. So sometimes we can be taken over and we can be uh, hijacked, but not only that, we can also be willing participants in the enemy's regime. Do you see? This man was exploiting his own people violently. Okay, but it's even worse. That was the external. Notice the internal. He was possessed. He was not only obsessed by the powers, he was possessed by the powers. Verse 5, take your eyes there and notice that the same powers that gave this man superhuman strength 
the willing participant side, also reversed on him and were destroying his life. You see, the same powers that gave him strength were the same powers that were killing him. They were destroying his humanity. You see? And that's the part he couldn't control. And that's the part we have tons of even folks right here who know what it's like to struggle with depression and mental issues. We have folks outside these doors. And we must not look at them and say, it's their fault. We must have a redemptive balance and say, yes, are they obsessed in some way by the powers? Yes, are they possessed by the powers? I don't know. Get to know them. Get to know them. This man was so destroyed, he was left naked, he was left lonely, he was left in utter self-destruction. It says he was night and day cutting himself with stones. This was a screaming, howling, bloody mess of a man. You see, brothers and sisters, what do we learn from this man's condition? Tons of things, but the one that I want to focus on this morning is that whenever a society crumbles under evil powers, it leaves a wide door open for evil in every form to come in and to infiltrate and wreak havoc into every sphere of society, the political, the social, the physical, the psychological, the spiritual. You see, and the ultimate aim is evil seeking havoc, seeking to wreak havoc on individuals and communities in external and even internal ways. And just thought about a few examples the other day of how we see this in our day. Just the other day, Pastor and I were, were uh, having a meeting, and the next thing you know, doorbell rings at the church, and it was DTE. Invited us out to our property out here that we own, and they said, hey, uh, check this out. Here's what uh, the city sent us over here to do. We're uh, putting in new electric poles, and what we're going to do is we're going to break apart a little bit of this fence right here. Your fence, yep, we're going to break it apart, and we're going to put the pole on, on your side of the fence. Not the concrete where all the other uh, pole, you know, electric poles are in the alleyway, right? And so, I love your pastor, okay, so... Here, 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 you know, see me, I'm, I'm the young disciple, what's he going to, you know, what's he going to do? And so, how's he going to handle this, you know? And so, here's what, <laughs> he's so slick about it, too. He says, okay, so let me get this straight, um, and they're just locked in. What you want to do is you, you want to break apart part of our fence, put an electric pole on our side, and... Why? And he said, well, to ensure the safety of our workers. To which Pastor Leon said, okay, so if I'm understanding you right, <laughs> what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to put this pole here to protect your workers, not to protect the children that are going to one day be building on the, playing on this playground. And let me just tell you, they didn't get their way. 
right? DTE. <laughs> they, oh, man, you know, the pastor ain't going to let us do this and stuff. They didn't break our fence, though. And, and, and what is this? This is evil powers working through city-sanctioned decisions against poor black communities. You see, you don't believe me? Go over to Troy and see if they're doing it over there. Or, or, or go over to Gross Point. I ain't, they ain't pulling that on folk over there. Let me not belabor the point. Take a marital example. The other day, let me put myself on blast a little bit. My wife came up with this awesome color-coded system for our move. And I had an awesome uh, team out there. I'm giving direction. I think I'm killing it, you know. Uh, yep, green over there. Now, I don't put the blue over there. Blue goes over here. Pastor Leon, you see me. I'm just killing it. And, and at the end of the move, okay, my wife and I are standing in, in, the, in the living room, and she's looking around, and she's like, what happened? Um, I told you to put the blue in this room. You put the green there. And then the red's over here. And you know what? It was none of my moving team's fault. Y'all killed it. <laughs> I just gave really bad direction. But I didn't want to hear that at the time. So I was like, do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears we put into this? I didn't say it like that. Trust me. Shoot up. But I tell you what, talk about the evil powers working, getting intertwined in the tit-for-tat marital struggles to try to divide our marriages. Because marriage, Paul says in Ephesians, is a picture of Christ in the church. And if he can break that apart, he can throw slime on the church. You see? Take, take, for instance, the psychological example. I was looking across the street the other day, and I have a sweet woman that lives in her car. I'm, I'm praying through how to get to know her a little bit. What do I, knock on the window? I don't know. Knock on the window. She might, what's up? I don't want to catch no hands, you know, so I'm just trying to, hey, how you doing and everything. But at any time during the day, you could pull up, and she could be cussing out an invisible person, she could be using the, the grassy area next to her car as her toilet and then airing out after. And, you know, sometimes we, we drive by these things and, and we kind of laugh, if not on the outside, on the inside. And I just want to caution us. Something deeper is happening there. And it's the dark forces of evil seeking to psychologically destroy an image bearer. A man, a woman made in God's image. I can go all day, but what Mark wants us to see, what he wants to sober us to the redemptive balance of, is some of us go to the extreme and we say, there's a devil behind every rock. Devil made me do it. No personal responsibility at all. The other side is, let's just pretend the devil's not there. Evil doesn't exist. Mark doesn't let us do that. You see, he wants us to see from this narrative that somehow, some way, the dark forces of evil are always seeking to wreak havoc in various ways against God's creation, God's people, 
and God's purposes. So be sobered to the reality that it's happening right in your living room. In your living room. But take heart. Because King Jesus not only encounters the oppressed, and not only does he pose a threat to the oppressor when he encounters those that they're oppressing. Notice the good news. King Jesus liberates oppressed individuals and communities from the forces of evil. We see that in verses 6 through 17. I want you to quickly notice the confrontation, the unusual victory, and then the sobering result. The confrontation, verses 6 through 12, is a classic example of the inferior getting ahead of steam and wanting to confront his superior. You see, before Jesus came, this man was just like, what's up? What's up? Oh, man, let me, let me go this way. I ain't messing with that dude, right? Jesus comes on the scene, and this guy gets ahead of steam, runs at Jesus, and boom, crumbles before him in worship-like posture because he was in the presence of God. You see, if you don't believe me, look what he says in verse 6. This is my version. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Man, I could do a whole sermon on what he just said. But if the devil knows that Jesus is God, we better know it. You see, he knew the presence of the one he was next to. And Jesus begins to command the unclean spirit to come out of the man and in begging-like fashion, this demon-possessed man begins to say, Stop harassing me, Messiah. My time has not come yet. My time of judgment has not come yet. And Jesus says, verse 9, look at that, first part of verse 9, what is your name? What is your name? To which the demon-possessed man responds, the legion. A term back in Jesus' day that stood for five to 6,000 Roman soldiers. This man didn't just have one demon in him. He was filled with demons. He was a tsunami of evil walking around. And look at verses 10 through 12. The man proceeds to beg Jesus not to send him out of the country. And it's hard to tell who's speaking here. The man, one minute, and then it's the unclean spirit, I don't really know. I just know this man was taken over completely. And in the next breath, he's begging to be sent into the pigs. Reasoning, this is how evil reasons, well, if we can't destroy the crown of God's creation, a person, we'll settle for second best. We'll destroy these animals. And then when we're done, we'll wreak havoc again. And friends, 
Satan and his legions thought they had the Messiah right where they wanted him. They thought they had him right in their crosshairs. But I want you to notice the unusual victory that takes place in verse 13. In an act of authoritative power, Jesus, the superior, grants permission to his inferior. And then in Exodus-like Old Testament language, the demons get out of the man, go into the pigs, and the pigs go rushing off the cliff, one by one, drowning to death in the sea. Just like Pharaoh and his army. Just like Pharaoh and his army. And then God's people go on dry land, right? Keep the Exodus in mind, because that's what Mark wanting you to see. That's why he's constantly showing us Jesus was doing something on this side of the sea, doing something on that side of the sea, and now look at him. But see, what, what we're seeing here is that Mark is saying, look, the driving of the pigs into the sea, symbolized what the Jews of Jesus' day wanted to see happen to Rome. But Rome isn't the ultimate enemy. Satan and his legions are the ultimate enemy. Flesh and blood is not the ultimate enemy. And Jesus marches right into enemy territory to say, uh-uh, not going to happen. And he defeats his people's real enemy, the dark forces of evil. And you know how you see it? Through the unusual victory of a bunch of pigs drowning in the sea. To us, we're like, that doesn't seem to be victory at all, but we got to take those 21st century Western lenses and put on the first century Jewish lessons to, to see what's happening. You see, there's something even deeper than that. If you were to take a set of binoculars and turn them the other way around. And to look at, the, look at a, whatever you're staring at through the large part of the lenses, you would see a small picture of the big thing that you're trying to focus on. And if we were to apply that to this story in the gospel, you know what we would see? We would see in this unusual Exodus-like victory a foreshadowing of the ultimate new exodus victory that Jesus won on the cross. You see, let me say it even clearer. We would see the Messiah stretched out, taking the Roman scourge on his back. We would see Jesus, the Messiah, crucified as an enemy of the state but an innocent enemy of the state. Nails in his hands and feet, crown of thorns on his head, and check this out, naked, outside the city gate, uttering incomprehensible things to his heavenly Father. Why? Because, friends, when evil was doing its worst, God was using this whole, all of history, climaxing in this event where God is drawing evil to do its worst act of oppression on the innocent Son of God Himself. 
in order to exhaust evil completely. But at the same time, when we look at the cross, we see God doing his best act of love. Jesus hanging on the cross was God's best act of love. It was victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the dark forces of evil that destroy God's creation, God's people, and God's purposes. You see, the substitute went to the cross not only to be the sin bearer, but to be the Satan conqueror. Oh, you didn't hear me? Not just to be the sin bearer, but to conquer Satan and his minions. And notice the result. Verses 14 through 17. It's sobering. Look at the man. He went from being demon-possessed, running around crazy to being unshackled and unchained by Jesus. And he's sitting there as a reconciled disciple, worshiping his new king. It says in verse 15 that he was now fully clothed. Once he was a naked, bloodied man. He was now clothed with the shame-disintegrating, human-dignifying love of God. He went from being insane to now being a new creation with his mind, his will, and emotions totally intact, focused on his creator. But how do the people respond? Notice that when they find out the details of what happened, they tell Jesus, get out of here, leave. You see, there was back then, and there is today, people who in the presence of King Jesus, by faith, fall at his feet in worship. And there was back then, and there are today, who in the presence of Jesus, look at him and say, I don't want anything to do with you. Go. Leave me alone. I hate you even. And you see, we don't really know why they were rejecting Jesus. Was it because the Jewish Messiah was coming to them, Gentiles, and pursuing them? Was it because having Jesus there tanked their entire economy in a day? Mark doesn't seem to care to tell us. But what he does have us focus on in this story and throughout all the Gospels is that King Jesus reigns over anything that the invisible world and the visible world throw at you and your neighbor. And he conquers it utterly. And you see, he doesn't just leave this to you after. Okay? Liberated you. Liberated your neighbor. All right. Now, just make it through. Just, just, just pick up, pick up your, uh, your bootstraps, and get walking, and just languish through this evil world 
on your way to one day heaven. That's not why he delivers us. Notice the last part. King Jesus not only enters unclean and hostile places to pursue the oppressed and to pose a threat to evil and to liberate individuals and communities from evil, notice that he also restores liberated individuals and communities back to their true human vocation. You see, this story is one of begging. But the only guy who begs to stay with Jesus is this man. He says he wants to follow Jesus in verse 18. And this is a, a fitting response for any new converted person, right? But notice in verse 19 and 20 that part of this new convert's full liberation was that he would be restored back to a God-reflecting, his God-reflecting true human vocation. You see, there was more. And Jesus says here, Here's going to be your new life. I know you want to follow me like this, but like new believers, right? Jesus is gracious and he says, but here's how you will follow me. Here's going to be your new life. You're going to go back to your hometown and show and tell the good news about what I, the Lord, have done in your life. You see, in verse 20, we see this man's fresh obedience to his human vocation. He responds immediately with joy. You see, God in the person and work, if you don't get anything today, God in the person and work of his son liberates individuals and communities. He does it through an unusual victory. But you see, he liberates individuals and communities from sin, death, and the forces of evil. And those forces of evil are preventing one day, at one time, preventing even you, believer. And still trying to prevent you. And ultimately, always trying to prevent our neighbors who don't know Christ. And you see, he liberates us and restores us to live our true human vocation that we were created for, but sin, death, and the forces of evil were preventing us from. And you see, he makes us into a royal priesthood. Kings and queens and priests and princes and, and priestesses. And you see, the priest and priestess vocation looks like this. You have been freed, you have been restored, and now you're to live in genuine worship, reflecting the praises of creation back to the Creator. As a genuine worshiper, we see it in this man's life. But what about kings and queens? We are to, as freed and restored people, 
see the pain of this present world right here in our zip code even. And we're to enter into it. And we're to bear some of what the forces of evil have done to foul a person's life, to foul a a community's life. And we're to absorb something like we're supposed to literally feel it. But not only that, we're also there to dispense the healing love of King Jesus. And when we do that, keep in mind when we're living this restored vocation back out as priests and priestesses, as kings and queens, we will always encounter spiritual warfare. If Jesus did, we will. But keep in mind that all the bruises and bumps that come your way from the forces of evil come from a defeated foe. And his doom is near. His doom is near. You see, King Jesus enters unclean and hostile places to pursue oppressed people. He encountered the threats of the evil one himself, but he conquered him utterly. And when you receive this deliverance by faith, you are always restored back to the royal priesthood vocation to which God created every one of you and your believing neighbors. And you see, the only way that we can See, King Jesus is through the eyes of faith. And when we do, we see him as the liberator and the restorer. And those things put together lead you in a way that is never your own, but is always the best. And we see it in this man's life. And if we were to take this whole message and we were to just put it into a song, Here's, here's what I think it would say. This is a, a Negro spiritual that speaks of the psychological trauma that happens to enslaved people. And it's still sang today. And we ought to sing it. And even when we don't feel it for ourselves, we ought to sing it on our neighbor's behalf. Oh, Jesus, my Savior, on Thee I'll depend when troubles are near me. You'll be my true friend. I'm troubled, I'm troubled, I'm troubled in mind. If Jesus don't help me, I surely will die. When laden with troubles and burdened with grief, to Jesus in secret I'll go for relief. In dark days of bondage to Jesus I prayed to help me to bear it, and he gave me his aid. Has he given you his aid? Has King Jesus conquered sin, death, and the devil himself in your life, then take that and enter the pain of your neighbors in this world and dispense the aid to them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is both liberating and restoring. And we thank you that we can rely totally upon it. We thank you that you say we don't live off bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And we just ask that you would help us this day to feast, to feast afresh on you, our liberator and our restorer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 17 or 16 where the people all respond to Jesus during this act like like the masses respond together the masses do the same thing the masses all say what get him out of here and you can respond like the masses you can see Jesus do something you can hear about it from someone else there can be a testimony and you can respond like most people and whatever Get them out of here. See, that's unfortunately how people spiritually treat God. They hear about something powerful that he has done and would rather continue comfortable. See, Pastor Kay is challenging us to not dwell in that comfort, but to let it lead us to enter into the lives of others or allow us to submit to the power of the Spirit. And today we're offering you that opportunity. If you're a person that has heard this gospel message, and you're like, man, I I know that God does some crazy things. I know he's a healer if this Bible says so. I know that he'll meet people in crazy places if this Bible says so. But what about me? I got some demonic stuff from my past, some things that I've done. Yeah, he may change and heal and walk with people in this book, but would he walk with me and my stuff? And the answer is yes. The answer, the reason why Pastor K preached this message is so that you would see that any of us could find ourselves in these pages and Jesus is willing to enter into our story. But don't be like the masses and just say, yeah, whatever. Accept him into your life heart today we offer you a chance to receive christ to acknowledge that yeah you've been leading your life but you ain't the best at it that there is one who's created you and loves you and knows all things and this god you want to submit to if you like pastor i don't understand all the christian words i do understand that i need god i need jesus to lead me And I'm willing to live for him. If that is your place, if that is your stance, if that is your understanding, then today is your first day of faith. Today is your new walk. Today is your first day of rejoicing with the heavens that you are now saved. Because being saved means you have faith in Christ and Christ alone. Will you pray with me? Lord. I love you. I want to live for you. I know that I've messed up, but that you'll accept me if I apologize or if I repent to you. Live in me that I may live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is your prayer, if you are uh, new to faith because you believe that Uh, don't know how it's all going to work out, but you know God is in control, then we want to invite you into an act of worship, and it is communion. The communion elements will be...